Welcome to episode 26 of Through the Noise with me, Alex Banks. Today I'm delighted to welcome Zach Lloyd. Now, Zach is the founder and CEO of Warp, whose mission is to elevate developer productivity by building a blazingly fast terminal for the modern age. Now, Warp is modernizing the command line experience to ultimately make it more intuitive and collaborative for modern designers and teams turning the terminal into a real platform to en- enable engineering workflows. Now, to date, they've raised 23 million across a 6 million seed round led by GV and a 17 million Series A led by Dylan Field, the CEO of Figma. Before Warp, Zach was the interim CTO at Time after spending seven years as a principal engineer at Google for the Google Docs suite. Zach, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm uh, excited to be here. Amazing. Why don't we kick things off with how you first made your way into the world of startups? Yeah. Um, so like you said, Alex, I was, I was at Google for uh, quite some time. Uh, even before I, I went to Google, I, I, had worked at a, I had worked at a small startup and then I had kind of known going in that I wanted to found a company at some point. Ended up on a team at Google the um it was the google sheets team which ended up leading for a long time that i really liked and ended up staying there for much longer than i than i expected um and it was after we had built and launched a basically a total rewrite of the google sheets product that i was thinking about what i sort of wanted to do next did i want to stay at google and try and pick up a new challenge there or you know basically try and leave google and start something on my own and i ended up going the latter direction you know a lot of the reason was just like i I thought it would force me to kind of grow and and challenge myself in different ways than uh i was being challenged google and so i went i uh you know i I, i've actually done a couple startups now it's been a pretty a pretty cool uh experience from a growth standpoint no that's really brilliant and i think with where you're at right now, Zach, in terms of Warp, um, I'm, I at least know that Warp's mission is to elevate developer productivity. I'd love for you to talk me through what Warp does for someone like myself who is non-technical. Sure. So, uh, as you said, Warp's mission is, is pretty broad. We're, we're trying to build software tools for developers that help them get more done. Um, but it, you know, in a more specific sense, we're rebuilding one particular tool that developers use every day, uh, which is called the, the terminal. Um, and if you're, for, for non-developers, the terminal is gonna be familiar from watching hacker movies where it's a tool with like the black screen and the green text and someone is like typing text into it furiously trying to like hack into a system or defuse a bomb it's it's actually it's it's a tool that uh is is used uh still by developers it doesn't exactly look that same way but functionally it's basically the same thing that it's been since like the 80s and 90s and it's a um it's a tool that a lot of different types of developer activities flow through so for instance, some developers will use it to write code, you use it to uh, build your code, to run your code. 
uh, it's like the tool that a lot of developers will use for controlling the other like cloud systems that they use. So for instance, I don't know if your listeners will be from like AWS or Google Cloud. Sure, sure. Um, all of those uh, external systems, um, they have something called a, uh, there's a way to use the terminal to configure them and control them and set up rules for them and deploy stuff to them. And so it's, it's kind of like a Swiss army knife tool that developers use and warp is, is rebuilding it essentially, uh, from the ground up, trying to make a version of it that is, has a much more modern user interface, uh, something that's like more closely matched to, uh, you know, how you would build it if instead of building in the eighties, you were building it now. And so it's like, it works with the mouse, for example, uh, it, it is, uh, collaborative. And so there's a lot of different, um, product advantages that we have from rethinking this tool. And yeah, that's, that's basically where we've, where we've started, uh, with the business. Yeah. You mentioned it's fundamentally rebuilding it from the ground up, right? I'm curious to know what challenges you've faced along the way doing this, Zach, especially in terms of, you know, iterations and if they've gone smoothly or not. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the, there's been, I mean, there's a bunch of challenges. So what, one of the things that makes this tool hard to change is that there is a lot of, um, there's like a lot of existing expectations and uh, programs that expect to work a certain way. And so what we're trying to do with Warp is improve the tool, improve its usability. And like you said, we are rebuilding it, but we're trying to build it in a way that's backwards compatible so that anyone who is using the existing version has a pretty seamless and painless on-ramp into using Warp. We don't want developers to ever have to take a step backwards when they use our product. Um, but that's actually very, very challenging to take, to try to innovate on something while also maintain, making sure that you don't break people's muscle memory. You don't break their existing programs and all of that. So that's, that's one area where, uh, you know, figuring out how to do it correctly has been tricky. Um, there's also, you know, just like questions on the technology side, which I won't go sort of too deeply into, but it's like you know, figuring out the right language and stack to build this on in a way that produces a great product, but it also is like, uh, you know, reasonable for us to work in and we can support multiple platforms for this software. All of those things are other, have been other interesting challenges in getting it going. Yeah, you mentioned there on expectations, right, in the existing expectations for it to work a certain way, Zach. And I think often often than not, individuals' expectations for how something is versus how it actually is can often be quite different. I guess my question from that is, how do you go about managing these expectations for the product you're now building with War, such a fundamental platform that is the terminal? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, 
you know, I think you have to do it throughout um, a lot of different, like it, it, it starts actually with the way that you message the product so that when, you know, people hear about it or they come to your website, um, they hear you talk about it on a podcast about like having a pretty, you know, clear messaging about what the, what, what the thing is and what to expect when you're going to use it. Um, and I think that continues actually into the product experience itself so that when, you know, someone starts using Warp, we've actually are just launching something related to this today. Uh, we do a good job educating them about how, how to use it, how it works with their existing tools, what's new about it, what's differentiated so that we can kind of, you know, get them onboarded into the experience in a way that uh, is, is pretty, it's pretty painless, but yeah, it's like, it's, it has, it goes all the way up to the messaging and then all the way into the product experience. Yeah, it's definitely all begins with the story, how you convey, how you really convey that product message, Zach. Um, I guess, you know, dialing it back a little bit further, I'm really curious to know where the idea for Warp originated from. Yeah, so, so like, as I mentioned earlier, so Warp, Warp's actually my second, my second startup since leaving Google. My first one, um, you know, the experience that I had with the first one, which was in a uh, very different product area, it was like a marketing technology company. Um, I took some of the lessons of that experience and uh, that informed how I thought about starting Warp. Uh, one of the big ones I would say is I really wanted to build something that solved the problem that I personally experienced. And so for Warp, you know, I'm, I'm a user of this tool. I've been a user of it for, you know, over 20, over 20 years. I started, you know, using it when I was a college student and I've always thought that, um, as a tool, as a product, it's a very like substandard kind of weird experience with a lot of uh, area to improve. Um, I also wanted to work on something where, you know, if you were to build uh, to build it, it could impact a lot of people. And so, in the in the space of developer, you know, applications, this is actually something that's used by pretty much every developer every day. And so you know, the potential for big impact is there, even if you can just sort of up everyone's productivity by like 10 to 20%, something like that. It's like, that has a big impact when you multiply it across like the 50 million developers who are in the world. Um, and then th this product also is something that I specifically thought I could do a pretty good job building based on my experience as, as the engineering lead for, uh, for Google Docs. So it's like when I, when I work, it, it, there's a lot of similarities from a product perspective and a technology perspective and how you build uh, collaborative productivity software that translate into Warp. So at, at the end of the day, I just thought this was like great fit for me. Uh, I thought it was something that would be generally useful to the world and that I would be excited to work on for, you know, really like indefinitely. I'm hoping to be working on this forever. Amazing. I'm sure you will Zach. It, it sounds like you're totally crushed um, and you did mention that it was your second startup since leaving google i am interested to know where your passion for tech ultimately stemmed from as i know most recently with from an well at least an educational side zach you were 
you were at, at Yale um, doing uh, doing doing law. So how did this switch come about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I it took a while to figure out what I wanted my career to be, basically. So when I was when I was an undergrad, I did a combination of philosophy, math, and computer science, and I liked all of those subjects. There's like a commonality between them, and, and I would say like logic sort of ties them all together. Um, leaving college, I initially worked as a, like, as a software developer. And then I was like, I didn't know that I wanted to do that for my career. And so I ended up actually getting a, uh, master's degree in philosophy. And then I was, um, I almost went and got a PhD in logic. And instead I sort of made the decision that that wasn't practical and ended up going to law school for, uh, for a year. And this is like, I don't know, I was probably 25, 26. And I sort of had a crisis of like, I don't really want to be a lawyer. I, uh, I don't know exactly what I want to be, but I, I like, I just knew I didn't want to end up working in a, a law firm and going down that path. And so I took some time off law school, actually worked briefly in a like recording studio, which was really cool. Uh, and then to support myself as I did that, I got back into programming part time and and just sort of rediscovered that I like building things and it's it's fun to it's fun to write code. And like for me, it is truly it's like it's a fun it's like a fun activity that puts me in like a state of flow where it's I'm solving a problem, I'm solving puzzles, I'm building something that's useful and. I just ended up thinking, God, this is actually really cool. And I ended up taking that experience and, you know, using it to sort of start start my career for real in technology and just to become more and more, uh, you know, more and more engaged with it the longer I've done it. So I, I feel I feel lucky that I redirected from law school into a, into a technology career. That's really sweet. I, I, I think, you know, at least from my perspective, Zach, you know, discovering that you enjoy building things. I think where that domain exists, whether it's writing code, whether it's writing content, that domain can definitely differ from person to person. But I'm a big believer in that flow state does exist. You've just got to dig deep enough to find it. Um, at least from from that earlier lesson there, Zach, you know, what lessons did you pull from this earlier side of, of your career to Warp? Because you were principal engineer at Google to then co-founding Selfmade to then being interim CTO at Time. This wealth of experience, feel free to just highlight some of the key lessons that you've brought across. Yeah, it's um, a great question. I, I, I think about this. Um, you know, for for me, and I don't know if this is the same for, I think different people obviously have different motivations. What I... Um, was trying to optimize for was sort of like learning and growth. And uh, I wanted to, you know, I'm like competitive also, I would say, but I wanted to just progressively challenge myself to do things that would kind of make me <clears throat> uncomfortable. Um, and also just like force, force me to, learn. Um, you know, that, that not to say that was easy, like along the way, like I think some, some lessons that I learned, like, 
really important to learn how to take criticism and negative feedback well. Really important to like put yourself in a position where you might fail at something. Um, you know, uh, trying to trying to do things that you aren't comfortable with. Not that I've like, I, mean, I still have a lot of stuff I, that I feel like I I need to to prove. But um, I I do think exposing yourself to risk and, and potential for failure has been a pretty big lesson for me. And it's a motivating thing for me to try to succeed and build something, uh, build something good. Um, when I was at Google, it was, it was around taking on like riskier sort of technical projects and like working on things that progressively impacted bigger people had bigger scope uh outside of google it's like when you're when you're doing a company it, it really is it's a totally different way of trying to succeed like i'd always been very good at succeeding in a in an environment where there's very like well-defined steps of success and that could be like getting good grades at school i was a good student or it could be you know figuring out how to get promoted at a place like google when you go and do a a startup and try and start something on your own none of that stuff really matters anymore and it's a much kind of like pure test or it's like a different kind of test of like can you actually um you know produce something that's like useful to the world in the way that's being judged by people want to pay for it or people want to use it uh without like any kind of artificial like there's a hiring committee or a professor giving you a grade and so exposing myself to that has been has been i think really good and but also like really hard and really really challenging yeah those domains definitely differ coming from that academic setting to then you know op leading the path or at least leading leading the way for a for a company to ultimately you know make or at least be the face of a lot of change there zach um i guess you know looking at walk from a little bit of a higher level i know the early team comes from google dropbox gem linkedin facebook and 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 so i'm really interested to know why hiring tier one talent is important to you yeah um it it's it's an interesting question it 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 really is like i think especially when you're you're a small team. Um, I'm our, our philosophy has been to hire slowly and try to hire uh, the most high quality, smart, thoughtful, pragmatic people who we can find. And part of that is just like, like those are people who I kind of enjoy working with. But but part of it is also just driven by like past, just sort of like past experience and also like advising other companies and sort of seeing what works. And I, I do think that one of the biggest um, things that can increase the likelihood of success with doing a company early on is just to have a group of people working on it who are like, you know, smarter than you and, and great and can figure out problems. And uh, it's just such a, it's such a big advantage to do that. And then conversely, having people on the team who, who you don't feel that way about can also be uh, can also be like a real a real drag and slow things down and it causes like lots of like things going in the wrong direction. So, you know, we we've been 
it's been a point of emphasis right from the start with warp and it's actually it's one of the things i think that we've done really really well is to attract really smart people and to keep them and you know work with them to build something great i, I that the product would not be nearly as good as it is without uh you know trying to uh without having attracted this type of team talent is such a critical factor i can absolutely get behind that zach and i know with the series a that you did in april um, obviously led by dylan field the ceo of figma i'm curious to know how you've really approached product development since then how have how have things come along yeah so um i you know having a great investor and we have great investors dylan gv box group uh is super valuable in its own right beyond just like the capital that comes with it. So having like the operational expertise of Dylan has been super helpful. The, the, the capital has basically gone to, to hiring, you know, more, more, more or less to, to growing the team significantly. And then in, on the company side, like our main focus right now is just build a great product, just like as simple as that. Um, we don't, we're not monetizing it yet. Like our go-to-market strategy for Warp is to build something that individual developers love, that they want to use, that they bring to their team and tell folks about. Um, and we want to focus on getting as much developer adoption as we can at the moment. The, so like, yeah, the, the we don't spend money really on marketing yet. Um, we don't really have much in terms of sort of cogs or capital costs. So most of the funding that we've raised has just gone towards like putting together a, a first class team and then, um, you know, trying to, to put in place the infrastructure for that team to build uh, uh, incredible product. That's amazing. And I guess, you know, casting our eyes forward a little, what does the future look like, Zach? You know, what's your strategic vision decade? Yeah, so I mean that's that's another reason why um, Dylan from Figma leading the round was was good for us is that our go to market is like somewhat similar to theirs. Like I would hesitate to say that we're like the Figma for developers because we're not. It's like a different type of product, different different audience. But but roughly speaking, there are some similarities um, in what Figma has done over the last ten years, which is. You know, our go-to-market is start with a great single-user product that uh, individuals love, and then the next set of like differentiating features that we're working on right now is around trying to turn the t the terminal into a team product and a collaborative product, and sort of lay layering on collaboration so that we can make you know not just individuals more productive, but make entire teams more productive as well. Um, that's that's a part of the business that, uh, that we're going to try to monetize. Um, and then growing off of that, we believe there's a sort of set of uh, features for enterprises where, you know, if Warp starts with an individual and then goes to a team, eventually we would like to go to an entire organization and we feel like we can make entire companies' development environments more efficient, more secure. We can make their, like, outage handling and reliability better. And so there's 
just a very, very wide space of developer focused activities that we feel like we can improve, create value for, and eventually have businesses pay us for. So, you know, I would, I would say Figma is not a is not a bad analogy. It's not a it's not a perfect analogy for what we're uh, what we're trying to do. But uh, that type of individual to team to enterprise go to market um, is is definitely in play. Tremendous. Well, that sounds super super exciting. And you mentioned that collaborative element there. I'm really curious to know, especially when when you're building a product that is so great, such as, such, such as war. Yeah. So the, um, I guess I would think of like, there's, there's two types of collaboration for, for warp that are interesting. So one is like, um, collaboration within teams, within organizations. And, you know, there we see the opportunities being like the terminal has always been a, a uh, piece of single user desktop software, kind of like what, you know, Microsoft Office was before Google existed uh, or what Sketch was before Figma existed. And, you know, in the same way that, that those products have transformed um, into things that, you know, you can share knowledge uh, through them with your team, we think that there's something similar. It's not identical, but similar for the terminal where you can share knowledge through it, where you can coordinate workflows through it, uh, where you can make entire teams more productive. So that's one aspect. The other aspect that's interesting for Warp um, is that, you know, because we're a, it's a developer product, but it's also a bit of a platform, the terminal. Uh, it's a place where people try to uh, like distribute apps and run apps. And they happen to be this particular kind of like text-based app that I don't, I don't want to go too technically in, but it's, there's a platform opportunity where, you know, we can try and build an ecosystem where developers um, can contribute at different, you know, extension points that we have that will make the entire terminal environment and ecosystem better. And so those are the two ways that we think that we can really sort of foster collaboration around the terminal. That's tremendous. And you know, taking a bit of a step back to look at the climate as a whole now, Zach, you know, what advice do you have for founders that want you in this current fundraising climate, uh, but, are, you know, slightly skeptical to do so? It's a great question. I don't know that I'm qualified to answer this, but my, <laughs> my, um, my answer kind of is to like, I got some good advice on this one today, uh, which is like, Aim pretty big. I feel like trying to tackle a uh, bigger problems is generally better than trying to tackle smaller ones, which is kind of counterintuitive on the founder side. It's like, you know, there's a lot of methodology about like getting to an MVP and and operating lean and all that stuff makes sense and is, is totally viable. But um, yeah, if I were looking to start another thing i think kind of aiming to solve as big of an ambit and ambitious of a product as a problem as you can is actually a smart way to go it's something that where capital actually will give you an advantage um it's something where investors can see that that there's a potential like big outcome is an easier thing to invest in 
Um, and it's a, you know, it'll help you attract more talent if you're solving like a bigger, harder problem. So, you know, if anything, I would, uh, I would advise folks to, to kind of aim, aim to be really ambitious. You know, even right now, I think it's fine. I think there's still plenty of, uh, like funding available for big ambitious ideas from people who can attract talent and, and execute on them. So I, I would, I would still go for it if I was an aspiring founder right now. Yeah, I think times like this, uh, when some of the great companies have emerged, right, you know, the, the likes of Airbnb, for example, you know, coming coming out of the depths of the financial crisis back in 08 and 09, I think the opportunity is right for the picking, Zach. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Cool. Tremendous. And I guess in a non-investing, non startup setting i'm curious to know when you think of success who is the first person that comes to mind and why zach interesting and not non-investing non-startup setting um i'll say like honestly the first person who popped into my head was like my best friend's dad uh bob who totally totally different career trajectory um but he he was a successful scientist at uh nasa and jpl for like 30 years and built stuff that went into space and i i think maybe that's sort of stupid way to say that but it's like there's different there's different versions of success depending on like you know what you're interested in what you want to achieve but my like my kind of criteria would be something along the lines of like, are you doing something that is generally good for the world? And are you sort of, you know, trying hard to take, you know, kind of uh, take advantage of whatever gifts you're given and like working hard to to do something that's positive. And I don't know, I think of my best friend's dad, I'll probably, I'll send, I'll send him this and I'm I'm sure he'll get a, a kick out of that. I love that. I think the, these examples and, I've seen this as well, Zach. The, these examples are often individuals who are incredibly close to you uh, personally from a, a family and friend setting. And I think that's so, so great because it, it makes it also also very real and also very, very special when you can, you know, detach from that from that working environment and just see it, see it how it is with those great people that you surround yourself with. Definitely. Amazing. And to wrap things up zach tell me what does your perfect day look like yeah that's easy so um i my perfect day involves getting up going skiing which is probably my favorite period then coming home playing guitar which is my second favorite hanging out with my wife and my dog Maybe going in the hot tub, uh, cooking some dinner, maybe watching a football game, and maybe reading a little bit of a novel that I like. Calling it, calling it a day. Not not maybe not the most exotic day, but that 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 that's it. Sounds like a fun day to me. Got to be honest. That does sound like a pretty <laughs> pretty pretty damn good day, Zach. Um, I noticed you're a you're you are a skier. Um, what's the best place you have skied? 
So my my personal favorite place, uh, where actually I spend the the winters with my wife, is a place called Taos, New Mexico. Which I think it's not well known that there's great skiing in uh, in New Mexico, but this is in like the southern tip of the Rockies. Um, and what's awesome about it is it's a great it's a great mountain, it's a great terrain, but it's also it's just not crowded, and it has a super cool like very unique vibe that you wouldn't get at you know skiing in a place like tahoe or or at like you know in colorado um so yeah again i give my vote to taos i love taos that sounds great i am still yet to acquaint myself with skiing on the other side of the ponzac i'm i'm only uh i'm only acquainted to to europe at the moment specifically france so uh i think i'll need to get a little bit more exotic and and make my way to New Mexico. <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind going to France. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll give that a try as my next thing. <laughs> this sounds great. And I've also heard exceptional things about Japan as well. So uh, a couple of new spots I've got to check out. Definitely. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've also heard skiing in Japan is incredible. One day. Amazing. Well, Zach, we have come to the end now. Um, but no, this has been a lot of fun, you know, everything inside of the world of startups and life. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Cool. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise, buddy. I will catch you very, very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, you too. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.